Welcome to Shatter by Rockwell Automation Women in the Field. We're your hosts, Fumi Ige, Carrie Schrock, Kara Parati, and Kira Rust. Fumi, welcome. How are you today? I'm good, Corinne. How are you? I am doing well. It's um kind of smoky in Denver today, but uh, it's still summer, so it's good nonetheless. Yeah, it's great here in Milwaukee. Um, <laughs> I I was I was looking forward to some sunshine, even though I knew it wasn't coming. But you know, the weatherman's not always right. But hey, right here we are. Right, right here we are. So it's, if it's gray, if it's smoke, at least we've got a sunshine guest today. So it's right. all good. I'll do a quick intro for Chris, which is not going to do any justice to the entirety of Chris, but here we go. So Chris was born in California, uh, then moved to Virginia, then to Houston, then Memphis, Jackson, Mississippi, Dallas, and now setting down roots outside of Philadelphia, where he and his partner, Rebecca, star in their own version of Fixer Upper, which you can find on Instagram at Stone Cape Home. I'll look that up. At Rockwell, Chris works remotely to manage the strategy behind communicating to sellers as part of our sales enablement team. When he's not working or working on his house, you can find Chris cooking, spending time outside or on the internet, either playing video games or watching other people play video games. Chris is passionate about breaking down gender norms and works to live out these values in his daily life, including sporting hair down past his shoulders and changing his last name when he got married. Woohoo, Chris. Woo-hoo. Chris, welcome to Shatter. Thanks. Yeah, Happy welcome to, be on. to Shatter. I love how your the initial intro was like, I've moved and then I moved and then I moved. And then I moved again. And then I moved. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I moved again. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I moved around quite and a I bit. Like, I was like, Chris bit me in moving game. I <laughs> thought I was, you know. I thought I was a pro in that, but apparently not. Well, okay. Chris, Chris may take the cake on that one. Maybe in yeah. locations, but, but you've definitely got me beat in terms of distance traveled. Yeah, mileage. Yeah, yeah. Fumi, I think you do win on that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the luscious locks that you have going on, Chris. Yeah. How, how did you decide you wanted to grow out your hair? How do you like it? What What's going on? Uh, I, I always wanted to grow out my hair. And I've tried at various points, um, you know, in high school and stuff like that. And I, I joined the working force and I was like, okay, well, that dream is done. I'm never going to be able to grow out my hair because, you know, I didn't think corporate culture would right. allow it. Um, then I started working remotely in uh, 2018 and thought, well, people don't really see me that much. So let me, let me give this a shot. So I started growing it out in May of 2019 and then COVID hit. And I couldn't get a haircut if I wanted to. So, right. Uh, so I just been growing it out ever since. Does it ever get in your way? Because oh, I feel like time. you know the com- the common joke I feel like among women is they're like, I'm just gonna cut it all mm-hmm. off. And uh, I don't know if you ever cry that in despair oh, like we do all the time. It it gets in my <laughs> face all the time. I usually have it up now because I'm yes. sure, as you know, it is super annoying because it always gets in your face. Yes. Um, but I do like it. It's it's fun. It's something new. It's definitely given me different perspective on um, challenges that women deal with with long hair that I never thought yeah. about before. Um, so that's been been really fun and uh, enjoyable to learn about. So I do have to ask though, yeah. 
do does do you or Rebecca have longer hair? Uh, it's pretty close because she just got hers cut. Oh. Um, oh. And I haven't gotten mine cut yet, so it's it's pretty close. But I think so she's still like has me. Beat. In it. Yeah, I think she still has me beat though. <laughs> oh, that's good. But I, I do get yeah. all of her um, like reject hair care products, the ones that don't work for her, and so yeah. uh, they they seem to work well for me. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. I'll say you're lucky your hair's straight because with curly hair, there's so much work to be done. Yeah. And I, I get so frustrated when, when people get to get grow their hair and it's just, oh, you know, yeah, you can yeah. see the progression of that growth versus my hair. It's like when I, when I, you know, blow dried, which I don't do anymore. I'm mm-hmm. just like, oh yes, my hair's long. But when I wash my hair and I just get on the camera, it's like, well, people can't even right, tell right. this hair's grown the past year and a half. So yeah, right. absolutely. You're lucky. Yeah. Jealous. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> well, I think everyone's <laughs> a little jealous of other people's hair. You know, everyone, people with straight hair wish that they had a little more curl. People with curly hair wish it was a little more straight. Always. So, grass is always greener on the other side, I guess. <laughs> yes. Chris, I know that you and Rebecca, you know, when you guys decided to get married, you had a long conversation around how you wanted to um, both change your name and kind of build something together. Can you just walk us through that and maybe what both of your last names were prior? And, um, you know, that's really, you don't hear a lot of that today. And I think it's just one of the coolest stories um, and something that I really love about you. So maybe just walk us through that decision and how you kind of came up on on the last name Rosenklein. Well, I really appreciate that. Um, I, all credit goes to my wife. She uh, She was the one who was brave enough to bring it up. Um, we had previously talked about, you know, she would take my last name when I got married. Uh, my last name was Klein. Hers was Rosenthal previously. And, um, but as we got closer to the wedding and we thought more about it, um, she really didn't feel quite comfortable with that. Um, and she was thankfully brave enough to bring it up and, and talk about it. And it wasn't something that I had really ever thought about. Um, and that's, you know, as a guy, that's, that's a form of privilege for sure of, you know, the societal norm is for women to take the man's name. But as, as she brought it up and I really started to actually think about it, um, and like process why that happens and what that is and stuff, um, and where that comes from historically when women and men getting married, they, women became like property of men back in, I don't know, as recently as like the 1900s or so, um, that really didn't feel right to us. It didn't feel uh, like that represented who we are as a couple and who we, who we want to be. And so um, I, I'm forever thankful for her to bringing it up uh, because I think that we arrived at you know, a combination of our names that really feels true to us and really feels true to our relationship. And, um, you know, that comes from really critically thinking through uh, maybe things that we otherwise wouldn't think through and not really just following the societal norm, which is, we'll talk about a lot today. Um, but we always like to joke uh, because we have a dog, a dog between us, and we got him before we got married. And uh, we always called him Rascal Rosenklein. Um, just as kind of a fun thing. So we always joke that we actually took his last name on instead of uh, oh, that's combining wonderful. ours. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. Yeah. I love it. 
I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to reach out to you later on um, to figure that out. Cause that's a, a living conversation right now between myself and my husband. Uh, we got married last year and we're oh, trying nice. to figure out what Congratulations. to do. So, yeah. yeah. And thank you. And I, I think the biggest thing that we always tell people when they ask us about it is it, it's not about if you combine your last name or if one person takes the other person's last name or, or something like that. Um, you can, you can do whatever you want to do. Um, the most important thing is that you're, you're thinking through it um, instead of kind of just being on autopilot and going with what's expected or what society right. is pressuring you into doing. Um, but come up with something that feels true to you and, and feels true to your relationship. Yeah, because there's no wrong way to do yeah. it. I know, I know a lot of people who, who keep their own last names. Yeah. And like you, you need to do what's right for your relationship, like you were saying, Chris. Yeah. Um, people do hyphens. Just, and, um, yeah, right. absolutely. And I always hear absolutely. people saying like, oh, well, I'd love to do that. But my last name sounds terrible combined with my uh, partner's <laughs> last name. And that's okay, too. You can come up with something entirely new if you want. Right. Or right. just choose oh, one. <laughs> That one of the biggest conversations was around, oh my gosh, how is it going to, what am I going to do when I get back to work? How am I going to change it? And things like that. Oh, my career already yeah. built that brand. I already got, you know, did that. So I, yeah, I completely understand how people get through that process. And it's like, okay, maybe I just give up on it. Right. But right. speaking of careers and speaking of jobs, uh, today you're a sales communication manager for Rocket Automation. Do you want to Talk us through your career path and how you got there. Yeah, sure. I came into Rockwell straight out of college um, into our sales training program. And uh, that's where a bunch of my moves came from was being in sales and um, kind of moving different jobs. So I went into channel account sales, which is uh, working with our distributors and helping to manage that relationship um, as my first sales position. And then from there, uh, I really started to realize that sales wasn't the right fit for me, uh, or wasn't quite the right fit at least, and and found a job in sales operations. So more on the back office uh, sales support side of things, and really started to hit my stride uh, as an employee and finding really fulfilling work with Rockwell, um, and started to uh, take on various different assignments that, some of which included communicating to our salespeople in uh, the local area. And um, from there, discovered a passion for it and, and worked towards uh, making it my full-time job, which is what I'm doing now. Oh, great. Yeah, that's, that's interesting to hear. Um, I know when, when people start, when you start in the early career, you go, I know I like this. And then mm -hmm. sometimes you are bold enough to say, I'm going to jump right into it. Sometimes you, you take your time and just listen to people and get through it. So I, I love the fact that you actually gotten, you know, whatever you were doing in sales and then decided, you know, I think this is, this is not what I want to do. And, you know, diverted into what you're doing today, which is great because mm -hmm. the sales enablement team, I, which I did not know about, uh, does a great deal until I moved to North America, um, Rockwell, North America. I did not realize the work that was done behind the scenes. So yeah. Good job. Yeah, I appreciate great, that. Great job, I we, uh, yeah. we do a lot behind the scenes that uh, a lot of yes. people either know or don't know about. Hopefully they know about it. If I'm doing my job right, they know about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you're communicating it out. Yeah, yes, exactly. Absolutely. This podcast is brought to you by the Rockwell Automation Employee Assistance Program.
All employees have access to five free mental health help sessions per issue per year through this program. If you work outside of Rockwell Automation, definitely note that most organizations have a similar program. Make sure to check out your employee assistance program to leverage mental health services or call your healthcare provider to see what's available. We're living through tough times and we don't have to do it alone. Let's shift into the heavy part of the conversation today. So Chris, the conversation today and something that has you've been really passionate about um, for like the past year or so has been this phrase, man box culture. Most people probably have not heard about man box culture. I was not privy to that prior to, to learning from you, Chris. Um, but before we jump into that term, I think we really need to build a bit more of a foundation as to how we ended up in this man box culture idea. So we're all accustomed to the term masculinity. So Chris, could you maybe define the traditional or conventional masculine qualities that, that people probably will know? Yeah, so it's, it's really those traits that are generally considered to be associated with men. Um, so things like strength, courage, independence, leadership, assertiveness, um, you know, not showing vulnerability and uh, things like that. Yeah, and don't cry, right? Yeah. And um, I'll rub some dirt on it, you know, mm -hmm. you'll be fine. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's kind of what we, we've grown up with. Yeah. I always think about too, and um, Fumi, maybe if you felt the same way, but anytime like my brother would leave the house, my parents would be like, well, I'll just be home by midnight. But if I'd leave the house, they'd be like, oh, well, who are you going with? What are you doing? When are you going to be home? Where are you going? Mm -hmm. Be safe. You know, and, and that's meant, it's meant from a good place, but it's, what is it teaching us um, right. yeah. between our, you know, my brother and then me, his younger sister. Uh, it kind of plays into that, um, you know, men should be independent and women should be more dependent. Nope. I'm mm -hmm. sure that's not where your parents were coming from, but um, right. this stuff kind of exists in our society and we just don't realize it or don't recognize right. it. Right. I just, just to clarify too, you know, um, Chris is not an expert in, in, in trying to not define what, what, what man box culture is or the masculinity of, or the term masculinity. So this, this is, this is just speaking from experience, I would say, um, right. Just like Karina and I are talking about how we're told to come back home earlier than early when the day is still bright. And then you're telling my brother, you know, just make sure you get back home, whether it's midnight or it's 10, a, 10 right. p.m. They're telling him to come back. Right. It's like, just make sure you come back home. But for me, it's like, who are you going out with? Yeah. And all of these things. Right. So, yeah. And obviously but, there's a level of safety with that. Um, right. But, you know, and, and, and I like to say our parents did the best that they knew, you know, and they could at the time that, you know, during their time. Yeah. And now we're learning all of these things and we're trying to apply that too. Right. Yeah. So, also often and all too, too um, recognizable for all of us, right? We hear the term toxic masculinity, right? Like mm. you said. Um, do you want to help define that toxic masculinity? And, and if, if you can, you know, how have you seen this um, in your own life? Um, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be a personal example, um, but just maybe something that you've experienced, something you've witnessed, are just like what we're talking about right now um, when we were kids, so. Yeah, sure. Uh, so it's when those traits become of, you know, being strong, 
having courage, independence, leadership, assertiveness, uh, become a cultural norm and start causing harm to society and to men themselves. Uh, things like glorifying misogyny, sexual conquest, dominating others through violence, suppressing vulnerable emotions, and avoiding the appearance of either femininity or weakness. Um, like those become toxic, right? Those become detrimental to either the individual or society. Um, they've done studies that show that people who exhibit toxic masculinity have difficulty with relationships, experience worth, worse mental health outcomes, uh, including depression, distress, low self-esteem. And um, I would even say that the examples that you all gave, uh, so your parents wanted you to come home, wanted to understand who you're with because they wanted you to be safe. And you know, the reason that you were maybe not safe is because of some of these toxic masculinity things of you know, men being trained or... Um, it's almost like men leaning into... Yeah too far yeah. into some of those qualities, right? Definitely. So like to your point of some of the reason why you may not be safe is because someone has learned violence is the answer right. or, you know, like that is the route that must be taken. And in reality, it's like, because the world is not perfect, you know, everyone takes things to different extremes. And so just in this example, it's like, man, yeah, you know, like you were saying, sexual conquests, right? Yeah. Like that, that is definitely something that would not make a lot of people feel safe, but that is something that in the toxic masculinity sphere is a norm. Right, right. The behavior that's encouraged and uh, applauded sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So our goal is to have that not be the norm. And um... yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And good clarification there too is that um, you know, there's a ton of behaviors that are toxic. You know, it's not saying that if you're more masculine, you're automatically toxic. Right. Um, you know, there's definitely, there's a whole spectrum of things there. Um, anyone can be exhibiting masculine qualities, um, and anyone can be exhibiting behavior that eventually turns toxic. But Chris, to your point, let's talk about like enough of the bad stuff. What does it mean to be, um, healthy in your masculinity and um, maybe speak to some individuals that you've looked up to because you've seen them really embody really beautiful qualities. Yeah, absolutely. It, um, it's, it actually has a healthy dose of femininity to it. Um, so it looks like being strong, assertive, and courageous, uh, some of those things we talked about, while also being vulnerable, gentle, and caring. Um, it looks like understanding your emotions, respecting and valuing others, including women, LGBTQIA, and non-binary individuals, um, taking accountability for misogynistic attitudes and behavior, then working to change those, uh, and practicing self-care and not being able, not being afraid to share what you're going through and asking for help. Um, so yeah, there are definitely some people out there that I really admire. Uh, anyone who's really intentional about how they approach life rather than just following along with what society says we should be doing and being critical about analyzing those different things and why you're doing the things that you're doing. Um, also stay at home dads, breadwinning women, uh, people like Jonathan Van Ness, who you might know from the show Queer Eye, uh, Absolutely. who is very comfortable embracing his femininity. And that's just awesome to see. And he's such an entertaining guy. Or uh, 
Justin Baldoni. He's an actor who recently wrote a book that I'm really excited to read called Man Enough, Undefining My Masculinity, um, who's very vocal about this type of thing. And you can follow him on Instagram and he posts stories all the time talking about it and stuff. Definitely lots of people to learn from. Yes. And it should be a never ending list too, which is the wonderful thing. Absolutely. Um, I think when I personally think of uh, individuals who have really healthy masculine identities are those that are not afraid to say, you know, if, if commentaries go and they're like, ah, boys will be boys or something. And that individual is like, um, not so sure about that, you know, and right. they, they actually own up to be like, oh, I don't know that that's an, a, a good behavior. I don't think that that comment was uh, appropriate. You know, I think yeah. I really appreciate people that are strong enough in who they are to say, let's redirect that. That's not okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. Um, you mentioned Justin, Justin Baidoni. And first of all, my favorite uh, show is Jane the Virgin. And he was, uh, <laughs> he was a star actor in that. And I, I started following him since then. And when he came out with his book, I was like, that is an interesting take. Yeah. And every time he has stuff about it, you know, um, he throws this thing of, hey, we're not telling you to be feminine. We're not telling you to to abandon everything that you've known, but feel free to question it, right? Yeah, feel exactly. free to go, why do we do this? Yeah, and, and so before we go too further into all of that, right, the reason I touch on that is I would like us to kind of talk about, and, and maybe Chrissy could help with this, right? Just something something I know people talk about and, and say whenever this masculinity comes up is they interpret the conversation as, oh, are you trying to emasculate men? Or are you trying to eliminate masculinity, you know, in, in overall? And I'm just curious, how, how do you approach these comments today, right? Yeah, that's a really awesome question. Um, no, we're not trying to emasculate men or eliminate masculinity. Uh, it's not about trying to take anything away from anyone, um, but it's more about freeing ourselves from these traditional gender norms and uh, making it acceptable to be comfortable expressing yourself and acting in a way that feels really authentic to you. Um, so rather than trying to fit inside of a box of what people say you should be, um, being comfortable to be who you are uh, and, and that you're able to do that. Um, and if you are, we can start to see and value people for who they are, uh, whether they identify as a woman, a man, or anywhere else on the gender spectrum. Uh, I know plenty of women who are very masculine. I know plenty of men who are very feminine and uh, you know everything in between. So it's, it's really trying to make sure that we can all be comfortable being who we are and being true to ourselves. No, I love that. As I was researching this topic, I came across an article that really, it really struck me. Um, you know, the whole premise was around, there's many ways to be a girl. You know, that you can be a tomboy, you can be a girly girl, you can play sports, you can, you know, there's, there's many different ways for you to grow up as a little girl. And a lot of, all of them are encouraged. There is one way to grow up as a boy. And that is, you know, you should like sports and this and that. And, um, that's just not true. Like you're saying, Chris, there are, there's a, you know, there's definitely um, more feminine um, men. There's more 
um, masculine women, like, and then everything in between along that spectrum. And it's, there's no wrong answer. Yeah. You, know, you need to lean into who you are and embrace um, how you feel and your emotions. I think, I think where we get hung up is don't suppress your emotions. Cause I think that's been like the traditional yeah. is, okay, if you're going to cry, like you better not do it here. Right. And in reality, like who cares? Thank goodness that you can feel that way. You know what I yeah, mean? Absolutely. And then I think it just, I think it just digs a deeper hole if we don't lean in mm-hmm. to how we feel. Or you hear the term, uh, oh, oh, he cried. Oh my God. He's such a wuss. Oh, he's such right. a wussy. Right. It's just, yeah, yeah. And, and when you're so hard like that, how, how do you, how can you even tell what someone's feeling, right? If, mm. if every time you are that hard as stone and you're not supposed to show your emotions, I don't know, for me, that's, that's not human anymore at that point. Right. Right. But, yeah. No, definitely. Absolutely. I think that's really powerful to, you know, women have that freedom, right? I mean, I think a lot of people assume women are just more emotional, more in tune with some of that things. And we need to be really good support structures for counterparts who maybe haven't felt that same freedom. Um, and just being like, Hey, lean into it. Or, you know, Hey, it's okay. You know, once I cried during Harry Potter, because not even during a sad scene. So (laughs) sometimes you just got to lean into some of that and, and you being vulnerable with someone who maybe hasn't seen that type of vulnerability before might help liberate them in some way. Yeah, absolutely. I think societally women have had a little more freedom with that in the workplace though. Um, that's still like very restricted, right. Of, you know, don't cry at work. If you do, you know, you're going to be judged and don't show vulnerability and don't, um, show weakness at work. And, and we'll talk a little bit about where that comes from here in a bit. Um, yeah, but no, that's great differentiating. You know, I think you're right. And, and I think, I think we're all working to change that. Um, because like you said, it's, it's not really human to bottle up those emotions and not be able to express right. them. Absolutely. And in fact, I make everyone cry <laughs> when they come and hang out with me. <laughs> Just kidding. That would not be okay. <laughs> from joy. From joy. Um, yes. Or yes, sadness because joy. the time is ending. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Um, <laughs> all right. But we've made it. We are finally here at our what is man box culture. So now that we've kind of got some of that foundation, um, a bit of the background of societal pressures and cultural norms. So Chris, would you mind explaining what man box culture is? And then maybe if you have a little bit more detail on any of the culture, cultural pressures that have constructed this, this box. Yeah. And then maybe how you, this is a pretty, this is like 10 questions in one, yeah. but then how also you've seen that in your own life personally and professionally. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so the term man box culture is one that I wasn't familiar with either until December. I, w- I was fortunate enough to be able to go and attend a virtual conference uh, called the Mark Summit. Um, it was put on by Men Advocating for Real Change, which is a part of the Catalyst organization, um, which if you don't know, they do a ton of awesome work around uh, advancing women and women empowerment and supporting allies to go along with that in workplaces. Um, so Mark is kind of their uh, their ally segment 
focused on what can men do to advocate for real change um, to, to get closer to gender parity in the workplace and stuff like that. Um, so they had basically all this content around man box culture and I had never heard of it before. Um, but when I heard about it, when I started learning about it, it just clicked and it's, I, I really have enjoyed diving further into it. Um, it's, it's this old gender binary and patriarchal belief you know, women and female energy is weak. Men exhibiting female energy are also weak. Um, kind of that association, the stuff of don't show your emotions, the stuff we've been talking about a little bit, like man up, don't be a sissy. Uh, essentially, don't be female because female is is less. Um, so kind of ingraining this in boys from a very early young age. Um, like you said, many ways to be a, a grow up a girl, but and only one way to grow up as a boy. Um, they actually went into schools, to elementary schools, and asked the question of like, you know, what does it mean to be a man of, of elementary school boys? And they all came up with the same answers. And that's essentially what this man box is, quote unquote man box. Um, it's this box that you have to fit into in order to be considered a man. And if you aren't, if you don't fit into this box, um, it's strictly enforced among men. Um, you know, people get beat up, people get made fun of, people are ostracized. Um, it even gets reinforced on societal levels in various forms, like, uh, you know, like I was talking about in the workplace. Workplaces started out as kind of just male dominated spaces. And so this culture came into the workplace and has become deeply ingrained in that culture in that traditional workplace culture. Um, so that's why, you know, in many cases, it's not seen as acceptable to, to cry because that's not part of what it is to be a man. Uh, it's not acceptable to show vulnerability. It's not acceptable to show weakness because it, it falls right in with that culture that was brought in um, from this man box culture. Um, but yeah, it, it can be really insidious and show up in ways that you just don't recognize. Like that example that I was talking about earlier of when we were looking at um, our last name. You know, I, I didn't think of it because that's not what you do, right? That's, that's not what I was taught to do. Um, and that, that goes along with this box of what it means to be a man. Yeah, you, you you took you took you took me back to that conversation of hey, you know, I I would like to change my name. I'd like to do that, but um, no, I'm right. yeah, I'm just gonna stick to that, right? Um, and yeah, it just it just got me wondering, right? Like, how many of these other man box cultures, you know, ha has has become a norm and has affected how we do things. Um, because of that, which kind of brings me to my next question, right? So how how do you see man box culture um, hindering the acceptance of mental health for men, right? Would you say this has culturally broken down barriers? Yeah, so, and I think, I think it's... Um, Give me a second to think here, um, because I want to I want to go back to something that you touched on. Um, 
you know, you were talking about you were struggling with this conversation of, you know, do I change my name? And you were going through these scenarios and these having these thoughts of like, oh, well, I don't know. I don't want to like rock the boat. Maybe I don't feel comfortable doing this. And and so I want to just make the point there um, to follow up on what you were saying that it it's not something that just affects men. Um, it also affects women. So like those thoughts that you were having are very much a byproduct of this box, right? And that that like we're supposed to do things this certain way. Um, and, and there's societal pressure to do that. There's maybe okay. personal pressure that you're feeling or maybe pressure that um, people in your life are putting on you because they don't, they don't even realize that that's something that you can do differently, right? Or something that could be questioned. Um, it's just what you do or it's just the box that you fit in, right? Um, so I just want to make that point that it, it doesn't just affect men. Um, it affects women as well. And that, that's part of why we wanted to talk about it today um, was so that we as men can help improve this culture uh, to in turn be better allies for women. Yeah, because there are there's downstream effects, right? To basically, you talk about man box culture and everyone who touches that box at one mm -hmm. point there's something that affects them. So whether Fumi, it's like you're saying with the last name change, um, maybe it's, um, you know, yeah, you are friends with the person that was ostracized because they had more feminine qualities. And so you're more in tune with it, like whatever it may be, there's um, kind of a, so many different ways that this can affect folks. And so I think even just bringing it up, defining it, it almost like helps own it in a way. Right. Cause it's like, cause Chris, as soon as you brought this up, you're like, Oh yeah, this is man box right. culture. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I just never knew the word for it, but there, there, it was like, this is the path for a man and that's it. And so now it's like, Oh yeah, like let's, let's make it possible so that there's U-turns on this path and that there's like, Oh, there's a stoplight now. Yeah. And, um, oh, maybe there's like a bike path on the side. You know what I mean? Like, let's make it so there's so many different options. And um, in that way, we can, it can be a bit more of a harmonious uh, culture that we live yeah. in because we're owning. Yeah. Yeah. And we can create a more inclusive culture on the whole. Um, and, yes. and so then some of these challenges that uh, different demographics face specifically hopefully start to fade away and, and mm -hmm. you know, don't have as many of these struggles or inequities that are going on. Absolutely. Deep question. How do you, how do you see us culturally, you know, breaking down these barriers? Kind of relates back to it, right? Is that mental health is stigmatized because it's, it's quote unquote, a form of showing weakness, right? to admit that, hey, I'm not okay, or, you know, not everything's okay, I need some help with this. Um, so I think it, the man box culture stuff definitely has stifled acceptance for mental health for men. Um, like when you aren't in touch with your emotions, when you aren't able to be vulnerable and ask for help, it's really difficult to connect with others. And this is, you know, I've seen this in my life. I've, uh, also heard other people talk about it. There's a guy, 
his name is Mark Green. Uh, he presented at the Mark Summit, which is funny. His name is Mark, I think. And uh, he presented there. But he, he does a lot of like writing and research on Manbox culture and all this stuff. Um, but he tells from his personal experience that, you know, it was, he was not showing emotion. He was not being vulnerable with other men. And it was really difficult to connect with them. And he got into this kind of self-isolation where, you know, he was surrounded by people, but not really truly connected with them. And he felt really lonely. And, you know, when it's taboo to talk about how you're Thank feeling you. or admit that um, not feeling okay, or maybe you have some weaknesses, you could start to get really down on yourself and not seek the help that you need. Uh, and that can start to lead to things like anxiety, depression, even suicide. Um, studies have shown that men are statistically less likely to get help for mental health and also commit suicide at a significantly higher rate than women. And a lot of it can be attributed to these, these different pressures. So yeah, it's, it's definitely something that we need to be talking about that to your point, shouldn't be that uh, scary of a topic or that, that crazy of a topic. Some of the stuff we've been talking about, um, you know, questioning gender norms and creating a more inclusive world where there's less of an expectation on how you should be and more curiosity on how people actually are. Um, so, you know, women should do the cooking. Well, why? Maybe that doesn't make sense. I know plenty of men that enjoy cooking and plenty of women that don't. Um, men shouldn't cry. Well, why not? That doesn't make sense either. We all experience emotion and crying's a natural human response to release that emotion. Um, so questioning some of these things and, and really digging into like, okay, well, what, why is that? And does it have to be that way? Um, because maybe that doesn't really make sense. I do want to share, um, yeah. just to add on, Chris, I know you, you talked generally about some of the facts. I do have some facts listed here from, uh, it's a website called, uh, a call to men.org. Yeah. And, uh, so in the U S men are 3.5 times more likely to die by suicide than women. Men are half as likely to seek mental health care than women. And one in five men feel lonely every day. So, I mean, Chris, to your point, I mean, it's an epidemic, yeah. right? This, this, no one wants to be in a box. People feel claustrophobic. I know this is all analogies, but that, that feeling and then not knowing that there is an out and not knowing that these cultural norms, um, they can be broken. <laughs> so I feel like to your point about breaking barriers is like, we got to talk about it. If, if you have lived through some type of um, experience and being vulnerable would help maybe oh. someone else, I would highly encourage yeah. you to, to Absolutely. share your story. Um, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of power, you know, this is like, our favorite person ever on this podcast, but Brene Brown, right? Own vulnerability, like just own it. You need to lean in. And um, if you see someone yeah. struggling, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I've been there. There's nothing wrong with um, yeah. leveraging the EAP program. I've done it. You know, do you not know how to do that? Let me send you the resource information. Like, let's be better, better to each other as we see others struggling because if you've, you've, if you've been there, I can guarantee you someone else is, is there now. Yeah, I, I love that you brought that up. Um, I, I myself use the EAP program also. 
Um, and it was specifically because I was feeling a lot of stress. And I, I, once I started digging into it, it became clear that some of that was being caused by some of this man box culture stuff. And, and some of the difficulty of like getting through it was because I was trained in this man box culture of like not understanding how to deal with emotions and achieving by pushing myself and putting a ton of pressure on myself to, to perform, um, not paying attention to my mental health self-care and, and not wanting to show weakness or admit fault and stuff like that. And, and like you said, uh, being able to talk about it and being able to share it um, creates connection and, and actively works to, to go against that. But it, it takes courage in a lot of cases. It takes bravery because, again, one of the parts of this man box culture is that it's heavily enforced and heavily policed among men, right? It's not, you don't like get born a guy and then get handed this handbook that says, hey, you got to police others and and make sure that they follow this way. But it just kind of happens um, where, you know, someone is not the norm, they get made fun of. If someone is doing something different, they maybe get beat up or something. Um, but I, I like to think we're moving away from that. Um, I hope that we're moving away from that. And uh, but that's where I want to go is away from that so that like we've been talking about people feel more comfortable just being themselves and Absolutely. and can have that vulnerability and create that connection like i feel more connected now because we shared this this vulnerable thing that we both have used the eap program and now we can go and talk about that if we want or um you know help others who uh maybe are going through difficult Absolutely. times Absolutely. No, and there's a, uh, a quote that I love because you just brought up like being brave and having the courage. Um, and I think I just, I just Googled it, um, but I think it's by Ambrose Redmoon and it's courage is not the absence of fear, rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. And I that, that I feel like is such a simple way to be like, here, we think we know what courage and bravery is, you know, and like, it's like, you need to be like unabashedly yourself and, but like maybe in the wrong way. And it's like, no, it doesn't mean you're not scared, man. <laughs> like It doesn't oh, mean yeah. you've got to figure it out. It just means you still, still take that one step in front of the other and keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I am not an expert by any, right, right, right. any <laughs> right. of this. It's just something that I, I <laughs> learned about and I really, really enjoy talking about with people. Yeah. Um, partially because it creates connection. Right. right. And, and we get to connect on all sorts of different things that otherwise we wouldn't have known about or talked about. Yeah, we like to ask questions here and that's basically what um, we're trying to do, right? Ask the questions, you don't have to go because it's that way, nothing is really ever written in stone, right? Yeah, for sure. And and everything I'm saying, like, like we said before, this is my personal experience or just what I've seen. Um, right. I'm sure that there are millions of other ways that we can right. uh, make mental health more accepted for men and, and culturally break down these barriers. Uh, so if you, uh, if you have any thoughts, let us know in the comments of this podcast, <laughs> write us a five-star review. Let us know. Absolutely. We are open to it. Um, 
All right. Well, last question, Chris, and, and thank you again, just for being so open and vulnerable and, and just honest and sharing your experience today. Um, you know, this, this podcast is put forward by Rock Automation Women in the Field. We shorthand it as RA Wi-Fi. Um, and, you know, you're, you are the lead of our allies organization as part of RA Wi-Fi. And um, so we're really appreciative for all the work you do and, and leading conversations with with our uh, male allies across uh, the country uh, and even across the world. But with that being said, you know, I think there's an opportunity for us to just be a little bit, uh, flip the script in a way and say, how can RA Wi-Fi members, how can women, how can people interested in this type of a conversation come alongside our male allies in supporting shattering man box culture? How can we, we hear a lot about how can men be better allies? How can white people be better allies? But I want to flip this very specifically and, and say, how can, how can our RA Wi-Fi community be better allies to you? Well, I appreciate the question and I appreciate um, the praise, but really our ally organization is just happy to be a part of RA Wi-Fi and, and be able to help support all the amazing women that we have at Rockwell and and make sure that they have long successful careers, whether it's here or if they happen to want to go somewhere else uh, because of a great opportunity, not because they don't feel welcome here. Um, mm -hmm. But as far as, no, as being better allies, I mean, like I said, Menbox culture and gender norms are so ingrained in our culture that sometimes it's even hard to recognize that we're perpetuating or contributing to it. Um, I think a lot of the work does rest on men. Because until we change how we act towards each other and kind of ditch this idea that we have to dominate and being feminine is less, it can feel really risky approaching someone and asking them to be vulnerable with you. Um, so I'm not advocating that that's work that women should take on. Uh, we, we as men have to take that on and have to, have to work towards creating an environment where that feels safer. Um, it goes back to being aware of gender norms, questioning them, figuring out what makes sense for you and the people in your life, especially for the next generation. Um, maybe your son likes to play with dolls. Awesome. Let's encourage that. And maybe he'll be the next great fashion designer, right? Maybe your daughter likes to play with cars. Awesome. Maybe she'll be the next Enzo Ferrari. Um, if we do this right, we'll end up creating a more accepting and authentic world where we're all allies towards each other. And, um, you know, we all feel comfortable and safe doing that. So I know that doesn't really give you concrete stuff to go out and do. Um, if you do feel safe having a conversation with a man in your life and, and pointing out maybe some things that you see or, or some behaviors that you're seeing that um, don't really make sense, or maybe you think they're doing them just because they are have been told by society that's what they should be doing. Um, you know, question that. Uh, again, make sure that you're feeling emotionally and physically safe doing it. Um, we don't want you to uh, put yourself in harm's way or, or do anything like that, um, or put your your own mental well-being at stake to do that. Um, but if you have the capacity and have a relationship with someone where you have that safe environment. Um, you know, a lot, like we talked about, a lot of times men aren't encouraged to do that and don't really have anyone that they can go to for that. Um, so 
you never know. It could be really helpful for that person. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. Um, I, I've been having, we've been having several conversations, myself and my husband, um, around all of that, you know, how, how, when you're expecting a child and they say, oh, we got to, you know, know what the gender is and things like that. And we opted, well, I did because yeah, we opted not to um, find out the gender and it's like, oh my God. And people go, how do you decide what to buy? I mean, there are other colors in the world. Um, <laughs> and yeah. if, the, if, if it's a boy and the boy wants to wear pink, why not? If, if the girl wants to wear blue, why not? Like, yeah. You know, those are the conversations we like continuously have uh, today. We were looking at baby clothes and it's like, we looked at, and I think one of the websites, I can't remember which one it was, but it was like sections for girls, section for boys. It was like a ton of things. And then it was like the unisex section. And I just went through one page and that was it. I'm mm. like, what? So, <laughs> you know, so those yeah. are the kind of things that you go, why not? And then. I think for, for us and, and to that question of ARI Wi-Fi, um, what do you do um, as, as, you know, as a member and what I do today and what I'm trying to apply in my day-to-day considering my situation today is I go, I went into the website and I said, all right, let's go into the girls section and we can pick whatever and go into the boys section, pick whatever. Cause if it's a girl or if it's a boy, the baby can wear anything, any of these buildings, right? It's not, we mm-hmm. don't have to, com- you know, confine it to a particular type of attire or color and things like that. So I think that's one way for me to start. I don't know about you, Corinne, how would you want to talk about that? No, I like it. I like it. Cause to me, it's like you are like socially breaking that already for baby. You know what I mean? And I love exactly. that. Yeah. Love that for your family. Yeah, that's um, awesome. You know, there's a, a close friend of mine who actually just reached out, works for Rockwell. And um, I shared with this individual, like, hey, leverage the EAP program. So I mm-hmm. sent this individual easy access to get there, what you need to talk with them about. So I think just being more open with people around like my experience with that. And as people reach out with issues or concerns, you know, making sure that I am probably my best self. Sometimes I'm not my best self when I am answering the phone, Um, but making sure that I'm able to support and listen and give the, the right amount of time to someone and then follow through with action if they need support. So checking up on people, those types of things. I feel like that's a good immediate step um, but I, I like what you said, Chris, around there is an element of weight on men's shoulders to at least get the process started. You know, I think back yeah. to, um, not that women have it all figured out by any means, but you know, when you think about like early onset feminism, a lot of it was like women pitted against women. Cause we were like, there is one seat at the table. I need to beat out everyone else. And in reality, that's not how it works, right? It is yeah. a much more cohesive, much more beautiful world when we are extending our hands to one another, when we are looking out for one another. And I think we're just on the cusp of, of getting where we need to go there um, on really women supporting women. So I think it's like a really neat place to acknowledge that if men could start moving in that same direction where we, where we might be in a couple of years. Yeah, and I always like to use this analogy about about the pie, right? It's it's not, hey, my piece of the pie gets smaller if mm. the world gets more inclusive. 
it's that the pie itself gets larger, you know? So like your piece doesn't necessarily get smaller. The pie itself is growing. Oh, I love that. And who doesn't love pie? Come on. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) As a math nerd and as a foodie, come on. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) for sure. All right. So I know we've mentioned a little bit around like EAP, which is also the employee assistance program that a lot of organizations and companies have associated with HR. Um, So a lot of people have a stigma around EAP, maybe just related to getting to a therapist and getting a couple free sessions, but, but Chris, you've seen it really have more of an impact than that. Yeah. So if you go and look at the resources that they provide, um, yes, you can see a therapist and you can talk to them about mental health issues or stress or, you know, anything going on in your life. Uh, but they also have a bunch of resources out there that are self-serve resources for a variety of topics around like finances or you know family changes like hey maybe you just had a kid and you're adjusting to that or maybe you just got married and you're trying to figure out what does that mean for us right um so you can either do self-serve resources for all of that stuff or uh there are people you can talk to for that stuff um but you reach out to the employee assistance program and they connect you with whatever the best resources uh for what it is you're dealing with Oh, that's wonderful. I had no idea. Yep. Here I was. I was in my own box. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a really great um, program that I think a portion of it gets utilized and a portion of it is known. Uh, it mainly gets um, publicity based on the mental health aspects of it, but it's got a lot sure. of other things that, you know, also affect mental health, but uh, mm-hmm. are not necessarily what you would think of. No, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Chris, any final thoughts for our listeners or anything that you want to leave us with? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on on Chatter. Um, it means so much to me to be able to come on and talk to you all. Um, again, I'm just some guy who's trying to understand it and trying to figure out how to best be an ally and how to best um, support the women around me that are doing amazing, awesome work. Um, so I appreciate you guys having me on and, uh, you know, go listen to the other episodes because they're amazing. Thanks, Chris. We, we love the plug. Yeah, we love <laughs> the fact that you actually took the time to, to kind of think through it and, and, and come on and, and have the conversation with yes. us. It, it takes a lot of breaking those barriers of man box culture to actually have this conversation. So we appreciate it. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully more of our allies and more people will, you know, listen to this and and, um, start having more of these conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. But with that, Chris, thank you so much just for your time today, being vulnerable, um, sharing your your experiences and and just not pretending to be an expert, but showing up (laughs) and being like, hey, I've lived through some of this. Let me just share it with with those that want to listen. So we really do appreciate that. it's just been phenomenal to get to know you more. And I can't wait to go follow your uh, fixer upper Instagram. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have a very dedicated following of like 30 people. So <laughs> come it. and join the club and you'll see all of our escapades and uh, all of our stories. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.